I've got a terrible reputation in this town. Oh hey, about time you showed up. Welcome to episode 4 of the Adventures of the Nomadic Mike. I'm so sorry, you must be really cold. Um, uh, please take a seat on this velvet armchair. Let me go grab you a jacket real quick. Perfect. Anything else you need? Coffee? Hot chocolate? No? Alright, perfect. So, welcome to the Adventures of the Nomadic Mike, episode 4. Sitting in front of me, I have none other than Alexander Glavetsky Eden. So look, you have to be pretty damn good at your sport to even be considered to represent the country in any Olympic sport, or any sport for that matter. Xander was that good at the age of 19, but he grew up in Hong Kong, and because he didn't have a Hong Kong passport, the Olympic Committee didn't let him represent the country. Wow. This guy's dreams shattered before his eyes, and uh, he worked for the next four years to eventually make it to the British Olympic team. But in that period of time, this man tore his ACL twice. Not once, twice. And for any of you that don't know, tearing your ACL is like a career-ending injury. But here's the thing, this man tore it twice and still somehow made it to represent an entire country in a sport. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. It's just a uh, me and him hanging out pretty much and we dive a little bit into uh this story of his and uh, in advance apologies for the for the quality of sound we were a really echoey room it's all we could find at the time but hey uh if you love the episode please reach out to me and uh, let me know so without further ado alexander glavetsky yeden honestly not going to the olympics was probably like the greatest thing that ever happened to me because I wouldn't have explored so many paths. I would have met the people who are like my best friends, like my family now, you know? Like, yeah. So it definitely changed my whole perspective as well. And like, it like changed me as a person because otherwise I would have just gone to the Olympics, just done it to not like try and do my best at it, just go because for the sake of going, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah. So to go for Hong Kong to the Olympics for skiing, the to meet that criteria to qualify is much easier yeah. than a country like Great Britain. Yeah, you know, there's, there's no snow here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like I was a one man band, you know, like yeah. it was me, the only person doing that discipline or even like a winter sport for the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And so I had nothing, no one really to like compete with or against. So it was kind of like, yeah, it was different. And then going on the British team, you know, like when we went to Korea, um, two of my teammates won medals, you know, like being part of a team that mm. they're winning like Olympic medals. Like yeah. it was so like, it was, it was such a unique and like, I guess, privileged experience that I was able to appreciate totally. much more going with, you know, my right. friends. Right. You're, yeah. you were, you were actually around that people who had that winning mindset and not only knew that they could do it, but went out and did it they worked hard and you saw the kind of work that they put in in order to achieve the likes of being an athlete that that's deserving of an olympic gold medal and how much of that rubbed off on you i mean what was the training how's the training different in hong kong to to training in in the uk or with the british team yeah how was that um who do you train who did you train with so when i was on the hong kong team i was part of this like i guess like uh, a local like American team yeah. and so I had a coach there with a bunch of I guess other misfits uh-huh. we had some Australians yeah. some fellow Brits mm-hmm. Americans you know mm-hmm. 
the whole nine yards or whatever they want to say. Yeah, I trained with them. So it was nice because, you know, like we all like had these wild ambitions to go to the Olympics. So we'd all like go to the contest together. And uh, when I wasn't training in the US, I'd be in Hong Kong, like Mm -hmm. studying at SCAD Mm -hmm. with you. Yeah. Uh, Nick and I met at SCAD. Yes, we, the, uh, we met one fine day we at did. the Savannah College of Art and Design. Of Shamshupo. Of Shamshupo, Hong Shampoo. Kong. Yeah. It was a glorious day. And that's closed it's down, huh? It's closed. It's crazy. I, it kind of broke my heart when it happened. Yeah, but I've been coming back to your training in Hong Kong. Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so I spent a lot of time doing dryland training. So I was at the gym a lot. Yeah. Just, you know, trying to build up strength. Mm. And if I was at the gym, you know, I'd, you know, think of how I can transfer the same like movements and skills from skiing mm. through different avenues. Mm. And I guess skateboarding was like pumping track. Like when you're for half pipe skiing, a lot of it is you're trying to gain speed by using your momentum right. and using the half pipe to yeah. like generate speed. Yeah. And skateboarding, you know, there's a lot of the same like movements involved. Yeah. And falling on concrete hurts a lot more than falling on snow, you know? So skateboarding, you know, it like, I feel like it helped me a lot because I'm like, uh, like if I can fall on the concrete, then going on snow is going to be so much easier, you know? Exactly. It's got nothing on me. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. But so you're saying while you were at the gym, right? What, what's the training focused on, uh, at the gym? Like, are you doing a lot of, uh, uh, leg work, core work. I imagine it's like mostly those two, but yeah. at the same time you're, you're skiing, right? So I imagine your arms have to be really shoulder. Actually, everything sounds like yeah. a full body sport. Really? You're using everything, but what, what's the, what's the opus on? What's the focus on? So I usually focus on the legs. Yeah, yeah. So I've actually torn my ACL twice and the ACL is like the main ligament that keeps your knee together. And so I did that twice. And then I've torn my meniscuses heaps, like, I've had like three or four surgeries on my meniscuses. Was this, uh, I'm guessing this was post Olympics. Oh no, this is all before. This was pre Olympics. Yeah. So when I went to the Olympics, actually, I went without an ACL. So I went to, because, so when I, so in the transition between going from the Hong Kong team to the British team, um, I went to an event mm. called uh, the Rev Tour mm. and I was, you know, the British coaches were there and I was there with my private coach and I was like, like, this is the time to, you know, shine. Like, the coaches are here. I'm joining their team and I want to show them that, you know, I'm long. I'm the bee's knees. Yeah. <laughs> and so we do the contest and I'm like, I'm trying my hardest. It's a back-to-back contest. So one day there's, you know, like one event and the next day the exact same event, but you know, so I did the first day and I like, like skied my heart out. Like probably I skied, like my body was feeling so great. Like I just finished uh, a semester, uh, sorry, a quarter in Savannah, okay. in Georgia. Yeah. And so I was like, yeah, like I'm done for the year studying. Like, yeah. like this is the time to train. Like this is my time to shine. So the first day I do the contest, I beat all the British kids. We're now very good friends of mine. By the time I saw them as enemies, I was like, okay, okay. I can do this contest. As long as I beat the other British kids, yeah. my goal is completed. I okay. uh, completed, you know, like yeah, yeah. I've succeeded in what I wanted to do. That was my mini goal. Mm-hmm. But I ended up getting on the podium. Oh, congrats. Yeah. So okay. I got on the podium the first day. Okay. And so the next day came up and I was like, okay, like, let's go, let's, let's go. go. Mental. Second day, you know, qualify for finals, yeah. and sitting in a good spot. I'm like my final run. And I fell my first run. And so I got a very bad score. And so the next run, I was like, okay, I have to like land this run, you know, to get on the podium. And I'd already beaten the British kids. So my goal was already like 
succeeded, you know, yeah, like, complete. We're going beyond, yeah. This now. yeah. And but you know, I got a little greedy. I, I wanted to go on the podium again, you know, mm. get a bit of the, the moolah. <laughs> and um, I ended up on my last hit in the pipe, like the last trick. I landed at a wrong angle, mm-hmm. and I ended up twisting my knee and tearing my ACL and my meniscus. So this is in November, literally the beginning of the season. Winter's coming. I'm so excited, so pumped. Like tear my ACL and I'm like, oh, damn it. And so I had to spend a whole year, you know, like recovering. It's like a nine month to 12 month recovery. Yeah. yeah. And so I did that for a year. The next year comes up. Yeah. And I missed a whole year of, you know, like skiing, like everyone's gotten like a year better than me. You know, they've had a whole season to train Mm -hmm. and I've just been, you know, working out and just trying to like keep my head up and just like. You got your leg in a cast. Got my leg in a cast. Luckily, I was still studying at SCAD so that, you know, like distracted me. But as I was, you know, like rehabbing and trying to get back to where I was, everyone was progressing above me. And I was like, oh, okay. So the next year comes around and the next season. And I'm like, you know, I got to play catch up. I got to, you know, like try and find sneaky shortcuts, you know, like ski as hard as I can. Because that was the Olympic qualifying year. Yeah. And uh, at the end of the season, I decided to do like this special like training camp and work on this this trick, the dub 12, which is, you know, like, it's like a staple, like standard trick. If you want to like get on a podium, you have to learn this trick. Is is it a, is it like a, I'm guessing it's not a fundamental trick. It's more like an advanced. It's definitely an advanced trick. Yeah. 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 That you have to land and it's a tough land. That's why it's considered one that you have to land in order to get to the podium. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's it's a risky trick. Like it's easy to mess up. And so I'm like, okay, I'm going to go to this camp my goal here, you know, is to land this trick. Okay. You know what a half pipe looks like? So it's a 20 foot, uh, 22 foot like wall that has a vert cut into it. They cut the end off and they blow up this big like bag of yeah. air called yeah. an airbag. Cool. And you can like practice tricks into there. Yeah. Yeah. Like you fly off of this half pipe and yeah. then you land into like and a soft bag air. of air. Perfect. It's yeah. yeah it's perfect. It, it sounds no, it's dope. I mean, that's yeah. how else would you practice, yeah, right? Like, exactly. Otherwise, every practice would be a life or death situation. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And so I'm like, okay, like, this is it. Like, I spent like a whole week just again and again into this bag, yeah. you know? Yeah. I'm pretty sure I got concussed because when you land in the airbag, you know, you, you're going at quite a speed. You have all this, like, momentum. And all of a sudden, you land and you just stop. All of a sudden, you stop. But your, your body still wants to go. So you're just like, whack. Whacking your head whiplash, and getting yeah. whiplash, yeah. And actually, quite a few people get hurt in the airbag just because you know you kind of let your guard down. You're like, oh, I can land on my head and I'll be fine. Right, right, right. But there's there's still a risk landing in the airbag. Mm-hmm. And so, anyways, the last day of camp, I'm yeah. like, okay, like I've been tra- practicing the whole week. Like, let's go. And I go to it. I try the trick. Like it comes down perfectly. Cool. But on my when I was taking off mm-hmm. i pushed off the wall a little bit too hard mm-hmm. and when you push off the wall there's like a sweet spot you want to land on yeah and if you don't catch that you're either going to land on like an icy deck okay or you're going to fall 20 feet and land on another icy patch okay and so i jumped off too hard i ended up landing in the flat right. like on an icy patch yeah. ended up hurting my knee and at the time you know like i was very confident that it wasn't torn mm. And so I went to the hospital, you know, like, cause I was like, okay, I better have this checked out just to be sure. Yeah. And I get there and you know, the doctor, he's like playing with my knee yeah. and he's like, Hey kid. And I'm like, what? And he's like, you won't be skiing for nine months. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you've torn your ACL again. And I'm like, Oh no. 
And this was June 2017, and the Olympics were February 2018. And I was like, but, and I was like to him, no, no, that this can't be possible. Like, I'm going to the Olympics in February. He's like, no, no like, there's no way you're going to get to the Olympics in February. And literally, I like, pretty sad. I like broke down crying and just cried for like two days. I was literally, you know, like I could barely walk because, you know, I just tore my ACL. Like my dreams just crumbled. You know, I'd been working so hard for this and it just got taken away from me again. And I was yeah. like, no, this can't be possible. I come back to Hong Kong, like pretty upset. And I go see like a few doctors here. Mm-hmm. And I met up with this doctor called the very nice Dr. Francis. And I got his opinion. I was like, so like, I know this guy, he's been to the, like, he competed at the Olympics without ACL, but he's doing a different sport. Like, do you think like, my leg is strong enough. And Dr. Francis like examines me and he's like, Zenda, if you think you can do it, you can do it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So Dr. Francis, you know, hyped me up. Um, I ended up just, you know, spending so much time in the gym, literally two hours a day, like mm. every day, rain or shine. Mm. I mean, it doesn't rain in the gym, but I'd be there. I was at the gym just working out, working out. And yeah. Uh, was it, was it because you, you told yourself like, no, you know, there's gotta be another way. Like you didn't, you didn't give up, you know, two days of sorrow. Sure. But then after yeah. that, you were like, nah, like I, this is my dream. Like I got to do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, already, you know, like just the idea of, you know, a kid from Hong Kong wanting to go to the winter Olympics mm-hmm. and getting shut down, like by, you know, like I wanted to go for Hong Kong and they straight up told me, no, you can't go for Hong Kong yeah. because you're not a Hong Konger. It's like, but I was born, I was raised here. How am I not a Hong Konger? Like, yeah. That's pretty, you know, like there's something wrong with that. And then I joined the British team and then, you know, I I got a little bit of beef there too, because the kids would be like, oh, well, but you're not really British. It's like, right. So if, so, you know, I'm on the team, like, you know, my father's British. I went to school there for a bit, Mm -hmm. but if I'm not, you know, a Hong Konger, but then I'm not British. What, what am I, you know? I? Dude, it's a, it's the classic third culture kid yeah. struggle that I and think I a lot of feel the exact same. I do, I do, man. Whenever I go back to India, like I'm not, I'm not Indian. They don't see me yeah. as Indian or anything, you know. Here, I'm not. I'm obviously not Chinese. Yeah. Uh, I'm obviously not white, uh, or you know, I'm, I'm Indian. Yeah. So, so you, you kind of get grouped up in your communities almost yeah. sometimes, and it's it's a, it's a weird mishmash of uh of cultures identity crisis it's yeah it's a bit of an identity crisis especially in the early years when you're in your teenage but i guess especially more so if you have other people perpetuating that idea Mm. right like hey you're not actually british or you're not actually you can't represent hong kong because you don't look chinese yeah Yeah, it's bs it is yeah but then when you went to when you were like so you had beef with the guys uh but I, i suppose was that like it wasn't friendly, I'm assuming, or was it very like subtle? I mean, I guess, you know, cause these, these kids, they grew up together, like skiing on the dry slopes in the UK, like yeah. on synthetic snow. Like they've known each other since they were like 10, mm. actually even younger. Right. And I guess, you know, they're such a tight knit knit of guys. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden they have this, you know, this fucking, this guaylo come and he's like, Oh, I'm from Hong Kong and I ski. And they're like, like Mate, who are you yeah, yeah. exactly yeah, yeah that exact thing they're like who do you think you are yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you know like somehow like i broke into their inner circle and now you know like i'm happy to say that they're some of you know my closest friends the kids on the british team you know it's mm-hmm. like 
crazy how they how welcoming they were once you know after their cold yeah. facades you know sure yeah sure i get that i mean a question i had prepared beforehand for this interview was um something about healthy competition mm. because uh in our in my last interview with uh sebastian uh seb xavier we were talking about this idea of competition versus healthy competition and the idea of making an industry because he's into photography we're talking about how photography or the art the creative industry might be a little cutthroat because people want to be better than each other but almost to a point where i like i'll i'll prove that i'm better than you and i'll make sure no one else works with you or i'll like cut you off with my influence kind of a thing yeah and we were discussing how that's very uh poisonous it's a very negative thing to do especially if you have the intent to help like an industry to grow so when it comes to sportsmanship mm-hmm. especially with people on the same team uh of course you guys are like team gb right yeah. team great britain you guys are all there as a unit but before you guys go out there as, as a unit i'm sure there's politics within the team as to who's better who's like the captain etc cetera, etc cetera. so of, of course, course i'm not asking you like rat, rat the team out or anything yeah, because yeah, yeah. i think that whatever this is that we're alluding to is prevalent everywhere and in all teams right like a little bit of politics but how do you keep that spirit up and what role did you play on team gb to make sure that you guys like kept going you know yeah I guess most of the winter Olympic sports are all individual sports, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're not, you're on a team, but you're not on a team. Like, mm-hmm. so it's kind of, you're, everyone's a little bit selfish, you know, cause mm-hmm. you're kind of like, you're in it for yourself. You're not doing it to like, for a team to win. Mm-hmm. But then I guess because it's an individual sport, you're like, you want a bit of support. So yeah. you become, you know, close with like your friends, you know, who are on your, your teammates. Yeah. And I guess, you know, like it, at first, I guess when you're younger, you, you always want to be better than everyone, you know? True. And, like, you want to, like, beat your friends because, you know, you want to prove your alpha male or whatever. I don't know. But I guess with maturity, you, like, learn that you're happy for other people's success. And you, like, you almost become more happy for, like, your friend who, who does well at a contest. You're like, this is my boy. He's on the podium. Like, this is sick. Obviously, at the end of the day, you got to pay the bills. So if you get on a podium or the better place you get, the more money you're going to get. Mm-hmm. But you, you also want to, you know, see your friends do well. And yeah. Yeah. Totally. Because that's your inspiration as well. Yeah. yeah. And it's, uh, I, I suppose, not like in a selfish way, but you, you, yeah. I mean, if you can be happy for a fellow human being, especially when you know the struggle that they go through in order to get to the podium, for example, yeah. I think when you're aware of what they go through, you're more appreciative of the effort that they put in in order to get to that position, even if it isn't you, because at this point you're living through them vicariously. Yeah, You're seeing sure. yourself yeah. in them and you're seeing your struggle in them too, when they actually make it up there. Yeah. But I think the last place where we left off was um, your torn um, ACL, right? After Dr. Francis, uh, boy, Dr. Francis, your boy, Dr. Francis, after he told you, it's all up to you. Uh, what were his words exactly again? I mean, he was like, you know, if you think you can do it, you can do it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that, that brings the whole aspect of if there's a will, there's a way, you know, like, and I guess believing in yourself is something like so important that, and I feel like skiing and that whole situation, mm-hmm. I've been able to take that lesson and just apply it to my life. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody says, Oh no, you can't do that. That's not possible. Mm-hmm. You got to think like, no, like, if I think it's possible, I can do it. Right. You know, kind of like Nike, like, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Just do it. Like keep going. Exactly. But when you were in, you said you were in the gym for like two hours a day, every day. Yeah. Right. And this was just to reinforce the integrity of your leg. Why, why is an 
MCL so difficult to to heal? Well, completely? so the ACL, ACL, yeah. Once it's torn, it won't regrow. Okay. So basically, the first time I tore my ACL, they took a piece of my quad tendon and they chopped a bit off, and then they screwed it into like put two pins in your knee to like create a synthetic ACL using other body parts. Right. And so, um, as a result of not having my ACL, my knee was super unstable. Mm. And so basically I had to strengthen all the muscles around the knee to help like create like, I guess like a, a like almost like a human brace. Mm. So I had to, you know, go to the gym already. Like I had to get surgery. Yeah. Also once I, the second time I tore my ACL, I had to get surgery again because I, did my meniscus again. Right. And so the doctor was like, okay, like you can either get it stitched up or we can just take it out. Okay. And at the time it was quite foolish of me. I was like, okay, like if I get it taken out, the recovery time is so much quicker because it doesn't have to heal. It's like they've taken out of your body. If it's not there, there's no problem, you know? So I decided to get, take that out. And then, so my knee was quite weak, you know, after surgery, you can't really do any sport for like a month or so like you can't i mean you can do physio exercises but you can't do like heavy weight training yeah and so that kind of set me back a bit because you know your muscles atrophy mm-hmm. and so around what month are we here because the, the the olympics are in february 2018 right yeah and this uh this you got was, injured in it was june 2017 june 2017 yeah. dr francis appears in july july i came back to hong kong beginning of july i july. saw dr francis he was like, okay, this, this is, this is the plan. Yeah. He actually proposed that I could have gotten my ACL repaired mm-hmm. and, you know, we could have risked it. And, you know, instead of taking a nine to 12 month recovery, yeah. gone six months and then go straight into it. Yeah. And I didn't want to take that risk, you know, getting a new ACL and then tearing it for a third time. I was like, yeah, like that is just foolish. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like I'll choose option A. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And option A was not to get surgery, not to get surgery, go to the gym, get that human brace, like develop that natural brace around your knees. And now we're looking at, uh, we're probably in August, right? August is the beginning of this journey now, right? You're in the gym every day. Did you have a trainer, like a physio, like someone? Well, so right before I had surgery, I had an important phone call with the British team and they were like, Hey Xander, like we really don't think you should do what you want to do. I think you should get surgery, wait another four years and then go to the Olympics once you're fully like recovered, have a good four years of training, like you're so young, you know? And I was like, four years is a lot of time to commit to something. Actually, this would have been in total five years till 2022. And so I was like, no, like, like I I'm graduating university next year. Like I've got a plan. Like I want to like, you know, explore other options in my life. I don't want to, you know, like spend focus all my time on skiing. So I took like I guess an executive decision on my life as if I was a business. And I was like, no, this is what I want to do. And this is what I'm going to do. The physio, like the British physio was pretty angry at me. She was like, this is kind of foolish. Reckless. Yeah. Yeah, Reckless. Yeah. But I was, you know, this is a risk I'm willing to take. And then what happened? I mean, so I had this amazing physio called Mandy Tick. Okay. Yeah. And she like, she could see that I had potential and she, she whooped my ass. Like literally I was seeing her like once or twice a week, like not too often, maybe once a week. Yeah. And I'd go there and she'd be like, no, like 
you gotta work out harder you know she'd give me these crazy workout routines that were like so long i was like yo mandy and she kept just adding things to the routine she'd be like go on the bicycle for an hour and a half mm. then do this then do these squats mm. and then i come back the next week the next week she would give me that tell me to do that same routine yeah. but add you know like all these mm, other like lunges overload. and i'm like yeah so she's like, uh, so like in, like in gym terms, like progressive overload is like, uh, every so often you'll add a little bit of weight mm-hmm. onto the exercises that you already do so that your muscles adapt and grow. Right. Yeah. So it's almost like that. Like she's, she's getting your body used to a specific routine yeah. and then adding a little bit. Was it a little bit on every time? Must've been right. It was adding more exercises to the yeah. whole routine. Yeah. So it just became so long by the end of it. I, I was like, like Mandy, like. I don't have time for this. Like I have to study. I've got like, yeah. Like she's like, no, if you want to do this, like you got to be like an adult. So I'm so glad that I had Mandy to, you know, like train me during that time. And yeah. Wow. Mandy, Mandy really did whoop your ass, huh? She did, yeah. But for the better. So like what, what, where, where are we now on the time scale? So like the, cause to be honest, man, like if we're in August and we know that the Olympics are coming up in February and we have a, a torn, ACL, like time is of the essence, you know, every day counts. So let's say now we're at the end of November in this timeline, right? December is okay. So we're at the beginning. Well, I went to New Zealand after surgery to go skiing because I had to um, get more points to be able to qualify. So I went to New Zealand. So I think I was flying back. My original ticket was on the 20th, but all of a sudden I was like, the finals were on the 22nd. So I had to change my ticket. And, you know, Christmas time, you know, everyone's trying to get home everyone's or go, to, go on holiday to yeah. places. Yeah. And uh, so I like, I find a flight, but like finals and the flight, you know, like to go from the ski resort, secret garden or whatever, mm-hmm. to go from there to Beijing airport takes more than two hours. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, quite a drive. Time, yeah. And uh, I re- looked at the schedule mm-hmm. and the only flight I could find was literally like four hours once the finals finished. So like there wasn't much time to, you know, like... I didn't have time, time to spare. Have a little gap. And uh, one of my friends who is who's Kiwi, like from New Zealand, mm-hmm. he was also in finals. And I convinced him that, oh, like, let's just share a taxi and, you know, instead of taking the bus and, yeah. you know, we'll get there way quicker. He's like, sure, Alexander, that sounds like a good idea. I'm going to come with you. Cool. So I convinced this kid not to take the bus and to come with me in a taxi. We do finals. Like, I did okay. I fell. I've, I fall a lot. Okay. Either, like, I don't fall and I do well or I fall and everything goes terrible and so you know we we get a taxi we get in the taxi we're like going we're on this highway but all of a sudden the driver you know he starts to go off the highway and i'm like oh i wonder where we're going maybe he has to go pee i don't know he wants you know all of a sudden we're on like this rural kind of dirt looking road yeah and i see a windsock and i'm like ah probably just like a coincidence you know seeing like an airport windsock and i'm like but we've only been driving an hour it's like two hours to beijing like Uh Like, yeah, he's definitely going to the bathroom. And then all of a sudden, we, like, pull into this tiny airport. And I look at the driver. I'm like, uh... <laughs> I'm not even going to say Ngoi, because, you know... It's in Beijing. <laughs> yeah, it's really in China. And we're there, and I'm like, uh... <laughs> I don't even... I, I don't know Mandarin as well. So I'm just like... And he's like, huh? Huh? And I'm like, no, 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 Beijing airport. And he knew, like, one word, which is airport airport i'm like no no no. this is the wrong airport and he's like no no no, airport and he like dropped us off like starts taking our bags out i'm like no no so i phone up the hotel because they organized our taxi i'm like hello like um 
I ordered a taxi with you guys. You said that you booked it to the Beijing airport, but、mm. this is not the Beijing airport that I was thinking of. Can you tell the driver to take me to the right Beijing airport? Yeah. And they put him on the phone. They chat, and then I talk to the lady, and she's like, "Ah,、oh, well."、Uh, The driver is busy. He has to come back to the hotel, and I'm like, no, 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 no. Like my flight is in three hours, and、yeah. we're more than an hour away. Like he has to take me,、mm-hmm. and he was very stubborn. This taxi driver and just left us.、Mm-hmm. And so me and my friend, we go into the this airport terminal. Turns out it's like some weird government secretive、uh, Chinese airport. And so we go inside there. I'm like trying to like find someone who speaks English. Turns out no one there at this airport, you know, because it's an internal China airport.、No、yeah, it's a、English. domestic airport. Yeah,、right. but no, but I think it was just for government officials or like employees. I, it was it was bizarre.、Okay. And I'm trying to like talk to people. No one understands me. So I'm like, ah,、oh, what do I do? What do I do? I'm like. I'll phone a friend who speaks Mandarin. So I like get on my phone. I start thinking, who can I phone? Who will pick up?、And、I'm like, I know the guy, Llewellyn. So I phone my friend in Hong Kong, Llewellyn. I'm like, Llewellyn, can you like make some sense out of the people here?、Yeah. They don't understand me. <laughs> so I like get on the phone. I I tell him what to tell the people that you know, like I'm gonna miss my flight. Please take me to the Beijing airport. I'll pay whatever they want. Yeah. And so you know, I like give it to them. Hello. Hello. And they're chatting, and they're like,、uh, and then. I get Luan back on the phone. He's like, "Oh, they want cash." And I'm like, "Well, I don't have cash. Like, I, I can pay them card somehow." And they're like, "Oh, can you pay them WeChat?" I'm like, "I don't have WeChat."、Yeah. And so I have to, like figure out some kind of like payment system. Yeah.、Um, we find some guy, a taxi driver. We're not sure we can put our ski bags into the taxi because skis are long. You know, like my skis are a hundred and eighty-five centimeters long. Wow. And, okay. Like, uh, Yeah, rural Chinese village taxi、mm. cannot accommodate such you know such large two, two big boys in their big ski bags. Two people are plus six foot plus. Yeah, two ski ski bags. Ski yeah, bags, so yeah. we like we're trying to get into this taxi. As this is happening, some guy saw an opportunity、mm. to take us in his car. Okay, and so my friend Freeman is chatting to this other guy, and、mm. he's like, Freeman's like, oh, this guy's got like a big like. Almost like an Alphard,、okay. the Hong Kong classic.、Okay. And we're like, oh, an Alphard, and it's the same price as the taxi. We'll go with him.、Let's、But the taxi drivers, you know, they're trying to slam our our bloody ski bags into this taxi, and all of a sudden we're like, no, 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 we're gonna go with the Alphard.、Yeah. And all the taxi drivers are like, what? You can't do this. So like, try and take our bags. And、yeah. they're like, you know, they're quite stubborn, like yelling at us. We don't know what they're saying, so、yeah. we're like, okay, like. Are they fighting with each other at this point? They're like yelling at the Alphard guy. Okay. And so we like take our ski bags,、mm-hmm. we go to the Alphard. We're like packing up the Alphard. Yeah.、We're、like, okay, cool. Like, we're good on time. Like, if we leave right now, we'll we'll make it.、Yeah. It'll be like a. It'll be quite tight making this flight, but you know, like we can still get to the airport.、Yeah. All of a sudden, all these local taxi drivers, they, I guess, they were like. They're in on it together. They like a gang, I guess, and they block all the exits with their taxis.、Uh-huh. So there's nowhere to go. Like we can't leave the car park because they've created like a barrier using their taxis.、Okay. And I'm like, so Freeman and I, we get out of the, the Alphard, and all of a sudden the taxi drivers come over and they're yelling at the Alphard driver. Like I don't know what they're saying.、Yeah. And Freeman and I are like just confused, shocked, and、yeah. we're like, all of a sudden one of them grabs Freeman's shirt、yeah. and it's just like pointing at him like aggressively and. Like we think they're gonna hit us, these taxi drivers. We think they've gone rogue and like they don't care. And so we're like, okay, okay. Like after like half an hour of like arguing and 
not getting to like a, a proper resolution mm-hmm. freeman like he's crying a little i'm about to cry because i'm like stressed i'm scared i don't know what's going on so we're like okay we'll just go view taxi driver yeah and so the taxi drivers take us we go in the taxi yeah. we start driving we're going to the airport yeah. and you know all of a sudden we hit some traffic you know beijing rush hour traffic mm-hmm. i start looking at my clock i'm like oh no like we're not gonna make our flight yeah. freeman's flying to the u.s mm-hmm. i'm flying i had to go to shanghai yeah because uh to go oversee my factory yeah and which we'll talk about later as we'll, we'll talk yeah, about yeah. later yeah. yeah so yeah. i'm like oh i have to go to shanghai like it's an inter- internal flight so you know domestic flights you can get there a little bit later and they're and more like, like halt the plane for yeah you. exactly yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah but freeman like we get to the airport i like say bye to him i'm like good luck freeman like get back to the u.s i'll see you next week so i was gonna go back to the u.s after my little stopover in shanghai and then hong kong yeah. so i i get there i like give freeman a big hug yeah. i give him like all the money i have i'm like good luck freeman and i give him you know like pathetic coins or whatever <laughs> i have and i just sprint off i'm like yeah. i'm gonna make my i have to make my flight uh-huh. i like run i just get to the check-in booth as they're closing for my flight so you know i get there i look at my phone freeman's like i've missed my flight i'm like no it's you know 22nd of december He's missed his flight. He's flying back to the US. I'm like, oh no, Freeman, what is he going to do? Anyways, I, you know, get to Shanghai, everything's smooth for me. And then I get some more messages. I talked to Freeman and he's like, oh yeah, um, I had to rebook my flight. It costs some crazy, like a couple of grand. He already paid for his ski bag yeah. to, to go on the flight. Okay. But because he missed that flight, yeah. it didn't transfer onto his next flight. And uh, so they were going to charge him like a thousand dollars to put like check his ski bag. Mm-hmm. So he had to throw all his stuff away. Okay. And he ended up sleeping at the airport for like two days. I felt so bad. Oh, man. Uh, Freeman, Freeman or Friedman? Freeman. Freeman really had a, a trip. Yeah, he did. Back. What time, when did he get back? Um, I think he got back on Christmas Day. Christmas Day, yes. at, at least, man. Yeah, you know. yeah. But I felt so bad. Um, like, shout out Freeman, man. Sounds like Freeman. he went. Hopefully, through he doesn't real... watch this. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we called a pretty. And I, I think I told trip. him too that I miss my. I, I think I, I lied to him. I was like, oh, I missed my flight as well. Uh, but I'm going on the next flight. But I did make the flight. But... Okay. Wow, dude. I mean, this is. I think this is like one of the big reasons why I started the podcast is because when people travel or when people just go on their own, like uh, go about their life and their own adventures it's like these little things that really like add the spice to the entire trip yeah you know, it was like a mission impossible thing that you were in you know you had to get to yeah. the airport these taxi drivers going rogue on you yeah. you know trying to make your way out of beijing cool stuff cool stuff but i want to tie back around uh right back around to the acl journey because what i wanted to really talk to you about was the mentality of an athlete. Why do we love watching sports, right? We love watching sports apart from it being glorified. We love watching people who are like in the dirt. I think sport is a very carnal thing. Like we're using our bodies to compete against one another, uh, one another, right? We're pitting two people or more against each other. And you have to be, dude, your whole story threw me off. Like, I'm, I'm so entertaining. <laughs> I'm but I get where you're going. Yeah, you sport is very going. primitive. Sport it's is, very, you yeah. know, like, it, it brings man back to, you know, I guess the Stone Age when they're competing for women, mm, I guess. Exactly. I think that's how it began. Like, mm. would fighting be considered a sport? Wrestling? Yeah, definitely. Know, sure. No, it definitely is. I mean, you've got, like, big institutions like the UFC and stuff, right? <laughs> Which have, like, yeah. established it. 
But you, you get exactly where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. So it's something that we all are invested in because it's something that we all relate to in some way, right? Yeah. But you were in the pits of this journey when you knew that, okay, the MCL, everybody's telling ACL, everybody's telling you, you can't do it. You have the Olympics just around the corner. And of course you have like this amazing uh, physiotherapist trainer who's helping you get through it. Of course you have the support of your parents as well. I'm assuming. Yeah. Right. And all of your close friends around you just like pushing like that, you can do this. Right. But you know, it happens to everybody when you're lying in bed, uh, awake at night, unable to sleep. You've got a million and one thoughts going through your head, right? What, like, did you ever dip into self-doubt, negativity, or were you forcing yourself to stay positive in that whole situation? Because you were climbing a mountain, bro. You were climbing a mountain. What was the mental like? No, 100%, like, mentally, tearing my ACL for the second time was such a strain, you know? Like, it was just another, like, obstacle that I had to overcome. And I was like... Not again, you know, but luckily, you know, I was quite fortunate to be studying at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so it's like living several lives, you know, I'm Xander the skier. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden I'm Xander, you know, the design student, I guess I'm a designer now, but you know, it's like, it's something to take my mind off of it and something to distract me. And so I felt like studying and, you know, running my clothing project St. Blair at the same time, there were just other things that, you know, like kept my mind busy and Mm. off of other things, like, like a distraction, a little like, yeah. Yeah. Like almost like the crutches of your life. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I guess you had like these things to keep your mind off of it. Right. But then now we're in January, the Olympics are next month. Like, what is life looking like at the moment? So by January, those were the last few, like, Olympic qualifiers. Yeah. And so, you know, I I had to go to all of them, you know, just to, like, get my points up and to be ranked, you know, in the top 30. Mm, And then all of a sudden, I had enough points and I knew that I'd qualified. Mm. So I was just waiting for this bloody phone call. I was just like, when are they going to phone me? Like... And then all of a sudden, like the, the team manager for Team GB, like sends me a message like, oh, I have to phone, like, let's have a chat. Okay. And so as soon as I got that message, I was like, I've done it. I've done it. But I didn't tell anyone until, and then I was like, all of a sudden I got this phone call and it was like a private, like unlisted number. And I'm like, who could, like, who's spamming me, you know? Yeah. And I'm like, oh no, this, this is the phone call. And I'm like, answer it. And she's like, hi, Xander. I, I wanted to talk to you about something. And I was like, okay, go on, go on. She's like, I'll be seeing you in two weeks in Korea. And I was like, I know. I knew already, you know? You knew it, it. Just, okay. I was just like, let's go. You're casual, let's like, yeah. Yeah. I have yeah. it on the phone, yeah. Cool. You said that in January you had to do the last few races and you got enough points to qualify, right? Yeah. But then way back, like when you first got injured, they gave you a call. Team GB gave you a call. They yeah. were like, hey, you won't be able to 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 make it, right? Yeah. So how does it work? Like, let's say you uh, you didn't make the point tally. So is it all like, do they have a bunch of athletes on call? And they let you know that, hey, we're considering you for the Olympics. Mm. You get like shortlisted. You get shortlisted. So you get put on a shortlist and they're like, okay, like they tell you in advance, like, like this is what's going to happen. Like if you do qualify, Mm. um, what size clothes do you wear? Like for all the kit, like where do you want to fly from? So they already plan everything ahead. Yeah. And so you get your hopes up. You're like, okay, like, you know, like this is going to be sick, but you don't like get your hopes up too high. Mm -hmm. Cause you know, like I had so many, like so many of my friends were also, you know, trying to 
qualifying and some of my really good friends didn't qualify and I was like, oh, the f- these are the fun ones. Right. <laughs> no offense to like the ones who were there. They're all very fun. Yeah. You know the- yeah, totally. Yeah. But no, yeah, I get it. Like you're, you're there with your homies yeah, and like your yeah. homies don't make it. Yeah. You're like, ah, oh, this is meant to be us. Yeah. Like the rowdy ones, you know? Yeah. Yeah. They know who they are. Uh-huh. Yeah. Shout out to them. Shout out to the rowdy boys. <laughs> the, the princes as, as I call the them. The princes. Yeah. Oh man. So I think we're at a really interesting spot on today's episode because there's quite a few things, a few areas that we have left to cover, right? For all of the listeners out there, one of my cousins, he he plays ice hockey in Canada and he grew up in Hong Kong playing ice hockey and he's half Canadian. So uh, now he's in boarding school. Uh, just like when you were 15, you went to boarding school, which we'll get a little into. But he he's in boarding school now. He's playing ice hockey and stuff. So I think especially for, for those guys um, or kids that are even younger, it's quite inspirational to hear this story because, I mean, apart from the, the grind of getting back into shape and actually making the Olympics in like a clutch moment of less than a year, apart from that, the climb to getting as good as you are or as good as you were before the qualifiers, that like, what, what does that take? How much of it would you say is like natural talent versus, um, you know, hours that you put in? I mean, I feel like for freestyle skiing, a lot of it is survival of the fittest. It's like everyone at some point gets hurt and getting hurt like really badly, you know, tearing your ACL, having a bad concussion, that can really put you off the sport and like scare you. And so a lot of kids just, you know, they'll they'll come super good real quick, like have no injuries. All of a sudden they'll like have a bad fall and they'll just quit. Mm. they'll be like that was that was it you know right and so i feel a lot of it is you know like overcoming fear and i'm not saying like it's dangerous sport a lot of it like everyone watches it you're like wow like that's crazy like Mm -hmm. you guys are crazy but a lot of it's like calculated risks you know Mm. you like you have to train like step by step to get to that level Mm. and so much of it is you know like your body so well at that point that you know exactly what's going on at Mm. that moment you know your body so well. And I guess, does that awareness come from just doing the activity more and more? Exactly. Just hours of training. The mind-muscle connection, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Muscle memory is crazy. Yeah. Literally, like, if you, you know, like, skateboard, you stop skateboarding for, like, six months, you mm. get back on the board, you're like, oh, I don't know how to do it. But after a few minutes, all of a sudden, your body's like, ah, oh, totally. like, your muscles just, like, jump back into it, and they know what they're doing. Totally. Yeah. Everyone assumes like athletes are, you know, serious or like, I mean, we do go to the gym a lot and, you know, we're training a lot, but you know, we're, we're humans too. And we like to have fun. If you're, if you're not skiing or like doing sport for fun, like what are you doing it for? You know? Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about fun. Like it came to stage actually skiing where doing competitively, you know, for all those years and trying to go to the Olympics and stuff mm-hmm. because there was so much to it, like competitively. Wow. I started to lose the love for it. It wasn't fun anymore, you know, because I it was becoming so to a point where it was so serious. I was like, like this isn't fun. And I, I have quite a few friends who've been who are skiers who have had the the same situation where you know, like it just goes from being like this thing that you love to like like your job, you know, and you kind of mm-hmm. you get stagnant and kind of over being around the same people and doing the same thing every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it almost become like uh, too routine? Yeah, kind of. Too routine. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's interesting. You know, uh, with the few episodes that I've done so far, what's interesting to me is how common themes keep coming up again and again. And that's one of them, like falling out of love with something. That was in the last episode. Um, Yeah, falling out of love with something that you really once loved, right? I remember like, I mean, this is um, a connection I'm making to basketball. So Kobe Bryant, you know, rest in peace, Kobe Bryant, the great. When he when he left basketball, he said he did so because he fell out of love with the sport. Yeah. And he felt like he gave it his, his all. Right. And that's one big thing about falling out of love with something. It's either a loss of interest in the glamour that that thing brought um, presented itself with, which attracted you in the first place, or it's that you've given it so much that you can't possibly imagine giving it more. Because like you said, when they, when, when the British Olympic team said, you know, you could come back in 2022, 2022, you come back 22, you're like, no way. That's like four years more like commitment. I want, have other things that I want to pursue in my life. So yeah, commitment is a, is a big thing, but when you wanted to give up, did you ever have the thought of giving up on the way to the Olympics? There was definitely times where I was like, I wanted to, but I was so deep into it, you know, like all my friends were skiers, you know, like I've spent so much time and effort training for this. My parents sacrificed so much to help me to get there. I had so many people like supporting me. And I was like, you know, like I'm not only doing this for myself, I'm doing it for, you know, the people who've helped me, you know, like to, you know, honor, you know, like everyone's hard work, help they've given me. But yeah. When I stopped skiing as, I guess, a career and transitioning from, you know, that lifestyle to, you know, not skiing every day to off the job, it was so tough. Like it was, it was a, a hard transition. It's kind of like being in a relationship and then that relationship just ends. Yeah. Yeah. But now like I went skiing earlier this year and it was just for fun and like, I love it again. I'm like, wow, this is, you know, like I have no pressure to, you know, like I have to do this. I have to do that. Yeah. I have to try this hard trick. And you're like, everyone gets scared of trying a new trick. Cause like people die skiing, trying mm. like in the half pipe, like it's gnarly. So mm. you just have this constant fear and it kind of gets you, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. Trying a new trick, like trying tricks and like, you know, landing a new trick. The feeling is it's euphoric. Mm. It's literally like beyond describable you know like your adrenaline's going your heart's pumping you know like you're just so happy if you land that trick and it's just like it's like a substance you know like it's addictive like Mm. and i feel a lot of skiers snowboarders like skateboarder extreme sports athletes were addicted to this adrenaline you know yeah uh, you know that, that cream saying adrenaline junkie yeah well yeah, i guess yeah a lot of us are adrenaline junkies <laughs> but yeah but uh, what you were saying about um uh like getting getting high and like comparing it to like drugs and it stuff. is like getting high yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and uh, like like i said earlier like there are a lot of themes that are resurfacing in these episodes and this goes back to episode one it was with xavier pick who's a british war artist so he used to tour with the army and like while you know they were at war he would sketch the scenes of war one thing he mentioned was getting into sketchbooking was like a high and you could compare it to like you know a a serious high but the reason he felt that is because he was so immersed in the process of it he was so immersed in like the feelings like he gave himself up to the to sketching Mm. right and he at that point it wasn't like i am a man sitting down with a book drawing inside this book it was 
I am, right? It is just, I am, right? And in that moment, like when you're skiing or when you're snowboarding, skating, whatever, in that moment, there is no, I am Xander Eden on a, on a skateboard or whatever about to, you know, pop a trick and land. Yeah. It's just in the moment you're in Yeah. I mean, in the moment you're thinking about nothing. It's like your mind is blank. Like all your problems, like if you have problems at home or like with relationships, business, like work, I don't know. Like when you're in that moment, everything just fades away. Yeah. And you're just on your own with your thoughts, you know, and it's, it's very relaxing and yeah. Cool. I think the, the takeaway from that is like try different things and find something you love but then how did you how did you get attached to skiing like is it something did you have like your parent telling you like to try it out or you know so skiing like it kind of runs in my family so my grandfather mm-hmm. on my mother's side he was an olympic skier mm-hmm. so it's kind of always been like i've never i never met him because he passed away before i was born but growing up it was always like a very like fundamental holiday aspects of you know like mm-hmm. my family like even though i'm from like born and raised in hong kong i like i guess direct roots aren't from hong kong mm-hmm. so we'd go like abroad for christmas to see family and go skiing on family trips and like my brother and i were you know we were like very fond of it and really enjoyed it so we convinced our parents like on every trip to somehow you know like can we go skiing i don't know and so it just became like this annual routine we go skiing at like christmas and like easter and then chinese new year too and then um uh the local like ski school where we'd go skiing saw that my brother and i you know we had like a bit of talent you know they could see that you know like we really loved it that like and they could see the potential in us. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up joining the local team in Mammoth. Nice. And so we like ended up like going through the whole program there, being on the race team, like learning like the technical aspects. And then I kind of got bored of, you know, just going in this, like just trying to go as quick as I could. I was like, I want to, I want to jump, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like this is what I want to do. You know, yeah. I want the adrenaline. And yeah. I guess that's when, you know, I first tasted the adrenaline. How old were you? Uh, when I started jumping. Yeah. Probably like, seven or eight really yeah. i was like young, yeah, yeah. Uh, when i was a child i was a psychopath like, right 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 you know i mean that's uh, i hear this about uh, other olympic athletes as well a lot of them start very very young i can't remember her name but she's uh, an asian girl who i think grew up in california near mammoth yeah chloe yeah. kim yeah what's her name chloe kim chloe kim yeah, yeah and she was like super young and she won all these gold medals or, or a gold medal for the first time at like 18 or something right yeah. And I remember listening to her story and her dad would wake her up every morning at 5 a.m. And it was, it got tougher later on, but at the beginning she was just totally in love with it. And she just wanted to go back. Yeah. You know, kids, when they get excited, they'll wake up at like 4 a.m. It doesn't matter, right? They'll yeah. wake you up like, dad, let's go, mom, yeah. let's go. They want to do it more than you want them to do, you know? Exactly. But actually, funny you talk about Chloe because Chloe was on the same team as I was in Mammoth. Yeah. Oh, get out. Uh, so this, this team in Mammoth, they've, I mean, they're like almost like a breeding center of, you know, like winter athletes, you know, like, yeah. What was it like skiing, like alongside uh, her or like, you know, was it, you were skiing? Yeah. She, she was snowboarding. snowboarding. I mean, yeah, you just like your, your friends, you know, like it's like just being with a friend, like mm. you and I right now talking. Yeah. It's this intimate fire. That's interesting. All right. You know what, dude, tell me a little bit more about uh, Saint Valet. It's your, 
clothing brand. And I remember seeing an ad for it for the first time a few years ago on Facebook when we kind of were just getting to know each other. And I was super impressed because, yeah, I, yeah. I, I was like, wow, cool. This guy's into it. Because I remember at the time you were teetering between being a fashion design major or a graphic design major. And I remember that struggle that you were in. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know which route to go down, you know. Yeah. I'm so very confused, but back then, even more so. Basically, St. Valet, you know, it's like my baby. It's like a project that I've been working on since I was 19. So when I first started at SCAD, I started it. And um, what I thought would be something very easy to accomplish was actually much harder than uh, I set out to, you know, do. Yeah. So basically, it's me, business partner Jake, and other business partner Yantat. We all met in the UK when we were at boarding school there. Nice. And it was, uh, it was quite a strange um, experience. You know, like uh, Jake lives in Milan, mm-hmm. so we based the company in Milan. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, Yantat, my other business partner, lives in Shanghai, and his dad has a clothing business. Cool. And then me, you know, I'm creative ski guy so it was like a match made in heaven and so we started it we didn't really know what we were doing but i you know once again i was stubborn and convinced that you know if there's a will there's a way i thought that we could do it sure. and it was much harder than i thought so whilst we were doing it you know i was sitting at scad you know design and i was having to teach myself things i still haven't learned mm. design wise so by the time that came up in the course for design I'd already taught myself how to do it. So it just helped me refine it. The whole concept anyways behind St. Valet is I was so over wearing like the traditional, traditional like freestyle skier outfit, which is, you know, like baggy, oversized, fitted um, neon outfits. Mm -hmm. And I wanted something more, you know, like elegant, you know, being from Hong Kong. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's such a materialistic society. And so I wanted something, you know, that was, you know, more form fitting and, like the whole concept, uh, like our slogan is St. Valet of Mountain and City. So I want to make clothes that you could like wear in the city, like in Hong Kong or in London, Paris, but you could also ski in because they have That's so cool. like the technical ability to be waterproof. Like uh, how, how has the brand been received thus far? Growing up, I had this, this idol of mine, Yoon Olsen. He's like this amazing skier you know he was dating models driving a lamborghini you know like winning all the big ski contests and i was like this guy this guy is who i want to be you know i started this company and all of a sudden one day like we were doing this uh uh, collab with this car racing team called team galag and uh, we produced some jackets for them and one day i wake up in the morning and my phone's like blown up i'm like what and i didn't even have time to you know like uh, like look at the messages. I was like, I'm just going to ignore them. I'm going to go on Instagram. First photo I see my boy, you Olsen wearing the St. Valet jacket. And I'm like, yeah. Hell yeah. That, that must yeah. have been such a, oh, yeah, it was definitely like a moment in my life where I'm like, Oh, I've done it. Yeah. I've done it. But yeah, I can't imagine like having an idol. And the next thing, you know, you've manifested this clothing brand. And now that guy's on board with it. That's yeah. crazy. That's it, you know, yeah. Like, yeah, that's crazy. That's crazy, but the but the whole idea behind uh, Saint Valet is like is is quite brilliant. What did you say the slogan was? But basically, Saint Valet of mountain and city. So we wanted to create clothes that you could you know wear in the mountain city. city. Yeah, you know where you know in Hong Kong. Mm-hmm. I mean, Hong Kong's a bit hot for it. You know, we have those few winter days coming up. Yeah, huh? yeah, yeah, yeah. End of January. Uh, sorry, end of December and January. I think you can wear winter clothing then yeah. in Hong Kong. But you know, I wanted clothes that you could wear like 
in London or Milan, like in the city. Yeah. And then you could go straight to the slopes. Yeah. You could wear the jacket into a business meeting. Yeah. It doesn't look out really? of place. And then you can wear it skiing and it's, you know, like that, that was our whole like concept behind it. Wow. So we wanted to like tear down like the traditional sense of, you know, like, oh, ski jackets for, for, yeah. for skiing and that's it. We were like, no, we want to make stylish jacket that is also technical and you can ski it. Yeah. Traditional yeah. ski outfits are quite fugly. Yeah. yeah, I like how you use the term fugly. Yeah, I haven't used it in really yeah. years, but it seemed appropriate just then. Hey, so um, if people want to check out the catalog for Saint Valet, um, what's the plug? The plug is www.saintvalet.com. Mm. How do you spell that? S A I N T V A L A I S. There you have it, guys. Like, if you're interested in checking it out, please do. I mean, I definitely will. It's been a while since I checked out the catalog. That's a lie. I checked it out two weeks ago, but that's a while. I mean, yeah, that I, is, yeah. I'd expect yeah. to be but, on it. Like, I mean, more now with COVID, like, time is an illusion, huh? Yeah, it really is. But yeah, bro, I think it would be nice to wrap this up soon just because... This has been the longest episode. I'm so today. sorry. Literally, no, I was like, don't oh, be we're sorry. Do a quick 20 minute bing bang boom in out. Don't be sorry. I think this has been such a pleasure for me, just as um, just as a, a person who's trying to do something and not having any experience in it and just doing it and seeing where it goes. I, I don't like doing things in isolation. I like getting people involved in what I do because that way it's just more fun, yeah. you know? And it's, it's just a pleasure to me when I get to sit down and get lost in conversations like this because it's great. Like that's what life is about. Like if yeah. it, if I did, I was having this conversation with a friend Kiara yesterday over lunch, who's a fellow SCAD mate who also works in Quintong, by the way. Yeah, it's great. Quintong you, is, is it's, fire. It's fire. Quintong <laughs> is the new bloody Soho. Yeah, dude. Um, you watch out. There's going to be a Soho house there next week. Oh, oh, who knows? Who knows? What I'm trying to say here, man, in short is I love getting lost in these kind of talks and if I didn't have money, if money wasn't a real thing, like I think good conversation is my currency. Oh, like, for sure. You no, know, like, like I've had a blast. Like literally this, with this intimate fireplace that you've uh, we've set made, up. Yeah, set up and, you know, like. Uh, yeah, it's a nice little cute setup. I think oh, we've got yeah. something going here. Yeah. And yeah, well, this is episode uh, five. This I mean, yeah, I, mean, I have one last question for you before okay, we actually okay. like wrap things up. Okay. So I ask all the guests this and it's a, it's a bit of... A, it's the kind of question that has people thinking for a few seconds to a minute. So like, take your time if you need. I mean, I'm dyslexic and have ADHD mm-hmm. all self-diagnosed, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so the question is, um, what does it mean for you to be the protagonist of your story? I remember you warned me about this question the other day mm-hmm. and I thought I was going to think about what I was going to answer. And I've not, cause I'm a fool. <laughs> it's very philosophical. huh? Mm. It's one that you could really talk about for a while. Like, okay, I'm going to bloody use the, that Uno card. Okay. You know the Uno? Yeah. Reflect. Oh Answer my it, baby. God. <laughs> you didn't see that one coming? I did not. <sighs> what does it mean to be the protagonist of my story? Okay. I'll tell a little story. I'll tell a little story to illustrate like my answer. So growing up, it's always been about having a close group of friends around me. These concepts of trust, uh, trust and 
bonds and all these other things, all these other words that you, you start to learn when you get older、uh, are used to describe relationships that you have with people. But when you're a kid and you're with your boys or with your friends, you have these relationships, pure relationships with other people that don't have labels on them yet. So it's almost like if I was friends with you, right? We'd have a great time together. It's not like I'd go home and be like, hey, mom, I had a great day today, right? That's, that's something you hear from adults like, hey, honey, how was, how was work? It was great, blah, blah, blah. But as a kid, you know, you're just like, yeah, blah, blah, you're, you're, you're pumped. You're filled with energy because of the interaction that you had with another person.、Hmm. And there's no labels on it. You know, there's, and you can't buy that. And you can't buy that no, either. It's、right? authentic, it's pure. Yeah, there's something really pure about it. And again, pure is another word that you eventually learn to describe what that is,、yeah. right? And therefore, I think these words limit our understanding of what it is because then you look for examples to attach to the, that definition, right? The definition of pure, then you look for examples to attach to it, and then that becomes your scope of life. So, being the protagonist of my story is me trying to recapture. The most genuine interactions that I could possibly have with other human beings in my life. Because at the end of the day, that's what I believe being alive is about. It's about interacting with the world and the people around me. I think I'm just chasing something pure. Yeah. That was a beautiful answer, Nick.、Mm. I enjoyed that. Thanks, man. <laughs> yeah. That was、it's、inspirational. Like, really? Yeah. I've got a Nuno card too, man. It's, got, it's the same one you flipped to me. So here you go. It's your turn. After Nick has enlightened me with his answer, <laughs> I, I'm going to say, yeah, being the protagonist of your own story is, I mean, there's two ways to look at it. You can either be very superficial and like live a sick, crazy life, you know, like, oh, like I climbed Mount Everest, like creating this CV of like, Achievements. Yeah. I mean, achievements are cool, but at the end of the day, like, you can have all these superficial things, like, ah,、oh, you drive a Lamborghini, you live in a sick house,、mm. like, you got a dream job. But are you happy? You know, like,、mm. honestly, being happy is like something so important.、Mm. And being the protagonist, you know, you can choose that route of life that you want to go down.、Mm. And as you said, the emotional experiences.、Mm. You can't buy those and you can't buy happiness, you know? They always say, ah, money can't buy happiness. So many, I've brought up so many cliche things <laughs> in this podcast,、yeah. but I mean, they're cliche for a reason because they're spot on. Yeah. But yeah, yeah.、Um, I think, yeah, sharing, sharing, being happy, and helping people are definitely very important、um, values to have.、Mm. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. No, thank, thank you. you. And thank you, the boys, the for boys. having us. Yeah, thanks for thanks yeah. To the,、uh, the K pop boys behind K-pop the screen. It's been a huge pleasure of mine. I'm overjoyed. I can't <laughs> wait to put this into post and get it out to the people. Well, I really hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Xander is the man.、Uh, like he said before, if you want to you know, get his merch, get any of the stuff he's putting out through Saint Valet. Go over to his website. I will link it down in the show notes so you guys have some sort of reference point. And Nomads, what can I say? 2021 is on its way. And I promise you, it is my oath to you that I will seek out as many interesting guests as I possibly can 
so that you all are entertained for the year to come. But for now, I want to give all of you a very heartfelt Merry Christmas greeting and hope you guys have a great new year. And as always, I'll see you guys on the next episode.